You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Um, thank you for being here this morning. What a beautiful day, and I'm, <laughs> I have to ag- agree with all that Lee said and affirmed in his prayer about the goodness of God to us during this time. Um, I think we're all looking forward to getting back inside as safely as possible. Uh, some of you may not feel comfortable coming inside, and we understand that as well. But we're grateful that we've been able to enjoy this time outdoors. And what a beautiful day. Do I need to... You know, holler every once in a while to keep you awake. I'm now sitting in that sun. It could be uh, very tempting to just nod off. Thank you, sir. Well, uh, let's think about what all of us are thinking about. If you were asked to describe our times, our day, by choosing one of the following multiple choice options... Would you say that our times are A, interesting, B, scary, 3 or C, exhilarating, D, confusing, or E, all the above? Now, this would be an easy answer, E, if it weren't for C, exhilarating. Even still, though, I'm guessing most of you would choose E, all of the above. Even though you, have, you may have strong opinions about this or that, you are likely somewhat confused about the way things are heading in our culture, in our nation, in our world, and even in the church. Fortunately, believers have instructions about how it should go in the church, in the Word. God has given us instruction. This is how I expect it to be. Furthermore, you can rest easy because I'm going to make another 400-page book recommendation uh, this morning. This book was written by Carl, take it to the bank, Truman. Um, and, and, And it helps thoroughly explain why we are where we are as a culture. And you may think, I don't care about that. I need to know what we're supposed to do right now. But, but you can't know what you're supposed to do going forward if you don't know why it is or how it is that we got here. The title of the book is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Now, there have been several books that have come out that sort of have been leading up to this one. Bruce Ashford, who was the Lord used greatly at his time at Campbell University some 15, 20 years ago. He's Southeastern Seminary. Uh, says it's the most important Protestant book written on this topic in the last 50 years. And I'm sure that is the case. I was reading even just a little bit this morning. It came in yesterday and I'm starting to read it. Uh, But when you think about everything that's going on, it's not surprising that we have questions about life in a post-Christian era. Our text today is Romans 13, 1 through 14. 
And today we will end our abbreviated time in Romans. It might not feel like it's been abbreviated time to you, but it does to me. Uh, I would have preferred to finish last week, but I felt led by the Spirit to continue in Romans 13 for this morning. Now, I usually am excited when I sense the Holy Spirit leading me in a particular way to preach. But it's not going to take long in Romans 13 for you to understand why this week's text feels like a burden to me. Although it's always good to remember the truth of 1 John 5, 3. Remember this. The Lord's commands are not burdensome. The whole of Romans 13 is our text today, but again, as I read those first seven verses, you'll understand why this passage has the potential or people's response to this passage, their interpretation of this passage, has the potential to divide God's people. It's not the word that's the problem, it's our interaction with the word. Before I read, though, if you would, please pray with me. Our Father, uh, we have given thanks already for the good things that you were doing. And we have also confessed, I have on behalf of everyone here, I'm sure that these are not easy times for multiple reasons. Interestingly enough, perhaps uh, this year, we have been distracted by the wrong things. And really not concerned enough about the things that are going to make the difference. But God, in all of this, you are sovereign. And so we pray that as we read your word today, our hearts would be open. And that we would respond by the Spirit to your word in our lives. All that we are, all that we ever hope to be, Lord, is wrapped up in our relationship with you. And so we pray for your leadership in this service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Do you understand why this is such a tough passage in this particular 
day and age when we're thinking about to mask or not to mask, among many other things. Douglas Moo has said, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of Romans 13, 1 through 7 is the history of attempts to avoid what seems to be the plain meaning. What level of government control do you think is reasonable? How should you respond to what you consider government overreach? I'm going to offer four principles, not, to, not in an attempt to change your mind, to try to change your mind, but as a help for you as you interpret this text when you do your own deep dive into what exactly this means. So the first is this. God is sovereign over all things, including the government leaders he places in authority. We, we all know this, and I'm surprised that someone has not said, of course the vote was rigged. God rules over all, don't you know? He's the one that rigged it. Uh, that would possibly be true that he is sovereign over all things, but not in the spirit of the comforting truths of God's uh, sovereignty. He never is responsible for sin, even though he controls things in such a way that we can be comfortable he is in charge. To say that God is in full control does not mean our participation in government is in irrelevant any more than it is to say that any of our actions are irrelevant. How we live in this world matters for eternity. But God is still sovereign over all things, whether the elections are open and fair or if there are no elections at all. I'm not going to dwell here any longer, but it's important to acknowledge out of the gate God's sovereignty. So, second, Romans 13, 1 through 7, follows without interruption Romans 12, 14 to 21, where believers are commanded to bless those who persecute them, leaving room for God's wrath and vengeance. By the way, these four points are at the bottom of the last page of your bulletin. If you want to see them, you don't have to be writing them down. They're, they're there already. Look, I've already identified the unfortunate chapter division between Romans 7 and 8 as possibly the most unfortunate division in all Scripture. The last verses of Romans 12 uh, set up the teaching about obeying those who are in positions of authority in government, and they are really, chapter 12 flows right into chapter 13, so this may be the second most unfortunate chapter division in all of history. It's the way Romans is, but it's the way so many New Testament books are. I remember we were in Hebrews, every chapter begins with and, so also, therefore, now. You know, it's just a, it's a continual argument all the way through. You can't just pick out little bits and pieces of Scripture without seeing the whole. So Romans 12, where he says, bless those who persecute you, go right into this uh, talk about responding to the authorities and government. Before meeting Christ, the Apostle Paul had been a leader in the Jewish religion and synagogue. Unless you think I'm identifying the Jewish religion as something totally foreign to Christianity, let me just quickly state that it's part one of the story 
that God has so graciously written us into as followers of Jesus. My point about bringing up the Jews is this. Uh, ever since the, the, the coming out of Egypt, God led them out of Egypt from slavery all the way up to the Babylonian captivity. The Jewish people lived under a theocracy with God as the ruler of his people. And his rule was mediated to the people through prophets, priests, and kings. But make no mistake, God was the head of the nation. Under foreign rulers, once the Babylonian captivity came, the Jewish people were often obstinate and rebellious, claiming that they had no ruler but Yahweh. They obeyed their captors just enough to avoid imprisonment and execution. But their opposition to government was so extreme that once the Roman Empire began executing any who refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord, an exception was made for the Jews. Think about it. The Romans said, it's just not worth it. We have to kill every one of them. So just leave them alone. Let them do their own thing. Everybody knows how extreme they are. I can assure you that Paul's teaching in Romans 13, 1 through 7, would not have engendered a positive response in Jewish synagogues. And it's likely that at least the Jewish believers in the first church of Rome did not embrace these commands. But when you read Romans 13 in the context of Romans 12, 14 to 21, you realize that Paul is building a case that is peppered with Old Testament references and that anticipated the gospel of Jesus and the theology of the cross. You may want to go back and read this. Get, go online and just look at the, the manuscript and read this and process it. It anticipated a theology of the cross. A theology of the cross recognizes that God's glory will sometimes be accomplished in our lives through suffering. Although he states here, Paul states here, that one of God's purposes for government, government is to mitigate our suffering through upholding laws. Now, you may think, well, the government's not making my life very easy these days. Just imagine there is no government. Imagine there's anarchy in the streets. Even in, in the worst of times, there is some benefit to government is I think we would all say, although none of us likes the direction that we're heading, I don't care what side you're on. None of us likes this direction. This is where it begins to get tricky, so let's move on to the next point. Leaders, number three, leaders and followers are both accountable to God, but leaders have the greater accountability. Again, this is just a framework for you to think about interpreting this text. And to deal with it in your own heart and soul before the Lord. One of government's purposes that Paul identifies is to alleviate suffering for the righteous. This is far more likely to occur when rulers acknowledge that they are accountable to God. This does not happen very often. Rulers who, due to their unbelief, wish to think of themselves as the ultimate authority will eventually discover... <laughs> That they are held to a higher standard than their followers. This is true with any 
social or personal structure where God has established leader and follower, such as in the home, at work, and in the church. Nothing controversial about that statement. The problem for us is that we often only know this. We often, when we say, <clears throat> okay, leaders are held to a higher a standard of accountability, so therefore, I'm just not going to worry about it. We only know this by faith. Faith in the word of God being true. That this is just a teeny snapshot of our existence. But what we do and how we respond now, it's going to make a difference, like I said, for all eternity. But we only know that through faith. If this life is all there is, I don't know. I might become extreme. Again, one side or the other. But if there is more and God is in charge and Jesus saves, <laughs> And we're okay. The kingdom of God of which the world already and yet only has a glimpse through God's people will, will be fully realized when Jesus is on the throne in plain sight of all. And frankly, most people simply just do not believe that. And at the very least... This makes our faith a lonely faith, which is why we so desperately need one another. The ESV Study Bible is a great resource for determining the meaning of our text. In fact, if you have a, Bible, a study Bible of any kind, I'm sure that it, it will help you to sort of work your way through and process the meaning of this text Although, look, no resources will fully explain its meaning to the satisfaction of all because it's, it's just so complicated. This government that Paul was saying to obey would, 10 years later, remove his head from his body. They executed Paul and he still said, it's the way it's got to be. We know that our accountability to God will not allow us to call anyone Lord other than Jesus. That's why Paul was executed. We also know that we must share the gospel with the lost whether the government allows it or not. And should we find ourselves under the rule of a government that restricts the preaching of the gospel, we will likely seek quiet and creative ways to share rather than openly defying and preaching in a totalitarian state. But preach, we must. I talked with a friend of mine the other day, who's a pastor, he's about seven, eight years younger than I am. And he said, man, I thought I was going to make it. Get out of this life without the persecution, without this and that. He said, but I just don't think I'm going to. And I know this sounds extreme, and I know you may think I'm a nutcase. I'm probably going to make it without being dragged from the pulpit and thrown into a prison. I probably will be. I'll probably make it, I mean. But when that day comes, the preachers are all going to be in jail. And it's going to be up to you to share the gospel. 
And on that cheery note, let me find out where I left off here. It is also true that we cannot obey laws if they require us to act in immoral ways. But this is complicated, of course, by one's definition of morality. It may have to do with sex. It may have to do with the environment. We'll talk about that more another time. Do you think, here's a question, do you think God is more glorified in redemption or in judgment? This is that easy answer, yes. God is glorified in both redemption and judgment. And we have had such a convoluted view and have projected such a convoluted view as the church to the world about what love is. That we're surprised that judgment is coming. But don't worry, God will receive glory both through redemption and judgment. God was glorified when he judged our sin in Jesus on the cross. Even as the son cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God will also be glorified when Jesus pours out his judgment on his enemies when he returns. When you consider the ways of God in Scripture, the Lord is patient for sinners. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, cry out to him and say, Jesus, save me. It's not by your good works that you're saved, but only because of what Jesus did on the cross and when we put our faith in him, we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess my sins. Nobody wants to confess sins. If you're the victim of, uh, of an online attack, you just deny what you said in the past. Or you say, well, yeah, I did. But look, I've made up for it. But we, got, we have to come to God in our sin as he sees it and say, Lord, I am a sinner unworthy of standing in your presence. But I believe that Jesus died for me. Dear Lord Jesus, save me. God is patient. And extends his patience to sinners who do not. Who do repent and also he extends his patience. For sinners that do not repent. So that they will continue in their ways. To show the justice of God. In judgment. At the appropriate time. Is heaven better with or without a knowledge of hell? I think with. Because we not only know what we're saved to, we realize what we're saved from. Would you have drawn it up this way? Probably not. Especially with what we have come to think about what love really is over these last 30, 40 years. We wouldn't have drawn it up this way. But when we are in heaven and we are known as we know as we are known and we see things as God sees we will praise God for his beautiful redemption and, and also for his justice against those who refuse to yield to him. 
Say it kindly, say it gently, but we have to say the whole truth. We are accountable for our sins. Either Jesus pays for our sins or we do. Far better to hide in the cross than to stand before God in his righteous anger when his wrath will be justly meted out on those who abuse the life and the authority. Remember, we're still talking about rulers, the authority that God has given them. There's more to say and I'll do a little bit of it in this last principle. Number four, we the people, I say this a lot, we the people complicates our response to government, but the United States Constitution that guarantees our freedom is not the final word. Scripture is. Is the expe expectation for those who live under a dictatorship different from those who live in a government that is of the people, for the people, and by the people? Since we have a say in who our leaders will be and in our govern, governmental policy, does that <coughs> give us the right to refuse to pay taxes, to withhold honor from our leaders? That may depend on what you consider to be the most important document, the United States Constitution or Scripture. Now, before you get frustrated, let me take a drink of water and then I'll, I'll deal with it. Don't know why my throat got exceptionally dry at this particular point. <clears throat> I'm not taking aside almost anything on almost anything that divides our nation, nor on the issues, not from here, I'm not taking aside. I have a side. On anything, though, that divides our nation, nor on the issues that threaten to divide the church in our day, you may call me wimpy if you wish. I recognize that our freedom to speak our minds and the freedom to assemble as the church place us in a system that Paul wouldn't have understood entirely. But again, Paul was not the ultimate author of Romans 13. The Holy Spirit was. And since God's word is eternal, it is our guide as well. So a few questions. Should we assemble in groups in the face of restrictions? Should we be forced to wear masks? Should we cry out against the abuses of our government in the courts, on social media, and in every venue available to us before it is too late? Wish I had something more definitive for you, but the only thing I can come up with is I'm, I'm not entirely sure. You may think, yes, and by the time you do know, It'll be too late. And I, not only do I agree with that, I resonate with it. But I think I also discern the hand of God moving us as a nation to a place that we have never known before. Your great-great-grandparents may have known an entirely different America. And not in a good way. And that could be said by the eldest among us that we knew a different America. But it seems as though life is going to be different for us all in, in, in 10 years. So how are we to respond? Biblically, of course. <laughs> so what is the biblical response? There's the rub. Romans 13 helps, but it does not answer all our questions. I, I do want to encourage you to do this. Look at this text 
Hold it with a little bit looser grip than you've had in the past. Don't read yourself into the text. When you get truth out of the text, when you extract truth out of the text, that is, that's exegesis. When you read your opinions, your ideas, your truth into the text, that's eisegesis. And some people are, are caught up with this extra Jesus. I don't, we've got to be very careful about all of it. Exegesis is the way to go, not isogesis. I would encourage you again to sit with this text. No matter where you fall on the interpretive spectrum. One thing I know for certain about the context immediately before and after Romans 13, 1 to 7, is the unmistakable requirement of love. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, love for our enemies, love even for those who would persecute us. You may continue to be hot and bothered about the election, and to say that you are would not identify which side you're on. <laughs> Sooner or later, Brothers and sisters, we must confess our animosity and obey God's call to love anyway. In spite of how it makes us feel, think, believe, love anyway. Love truly is the answer. All the secular, song, all the secular songwriters get it. It truly is the answer. And while love is meaningless without the truth, people are not nearly as likely to receive the truth of the gospel that they hear from us if they sense political or social animosity from us. It's time to move on and to love others anyway. I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute. For the remainder of the time we have left, which is not long, I work through the rest of Romans 13 to think about context for what we've already engaged in these first seven verses. Verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another, the one who loves another, has fulfilled the law. Think about that statement. One who has loved another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, verse 8. Owe no one anything is not a plug for Dave Ramsey. Remember in verse 7, Paul spoke of paying taxes that are owed and giving respect and honor where due. Verse 8 is saying in short that love makes sure that all of our debts with people, not just financial, but all our debts are paid. If we follow the commandments listed in verses 9 and 10, then we will have gone a long way in fulfilling our obligations to God and to others. I, I confess to you that my heart has been greatly troubled and has increased in 
anxiety and frustration all through 2020. And I find myself, I think, in a crowded panic room. The political season has heightened my frustration and anger and fear and discontent. None of which, none of which in my heart find biblical justification. It, it's possible for one to be righteously angered, but I've never been able to achieve that balance of you. I mean, even if I think I have, it's really easy to just slip over into self-righteous anger. This week, the dam broke inside my heart. And I gave in to the love of God, not, not because I'm a noble person, but because the Lord has graciously called me to himself and he will not let me stay in bitterness or fear or with a judgmental spirit. The only explanation I have is the living word of God. As I sat with this text, and I really sat with it. Romans 12 and Romans 13, just like I encouraged you to do last week and then wrote about it again on Friday morning. And if you haven't done it, please do it. The living word of God opened my heart to love those, to passionately love those who passionately disagree with me. Surely, by this afternoon, I will struggle again. Already have since that time. But oh, Holy Spirit, may you pour out the love of God in my heart, reminding me that before I knew Jesus, when I was ungodly, when I was your enemy and the enemy of all that is righteous, you showed your love for me by sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. May that love overflow to others. We need this prayer because of how late it is. And how late is it? Verses 11 to 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verses 11 and 12 remind us of what is most important. The, the hour of our salvation that is nearer to us than when we first believed is the hour in which Jesus returns. And as much as... You just expect this text, and I wanted this text to say, therefore, we've got to get the word out to everybody. That's not the focus of the text. The focus of the text is Jesus is coming soon, and you need to be ready. Brad Talley. You need to be ready to stand before him. The focus of the book of Hebrews, we went through several years ago, to these Jewish believers who were whittling in number because they were afraid that they were going to be executed. By the time Hebrews was written, they were much further along than they were when Romans was written. 
And a lot of these Jewish Christians were saying, you know, they don't persecute the Jews like they do everybody else. The Jews can say, my allegiance is to Yahweh. And don't we worship, all worship one God? Let's just go back to being Jews. And the writer of Hebrews said, you do so at peril to your soul. We only worship the same God if, we, if his name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the point of Hebrews is, you think Caesar something? The seal of Jesus Christ, the divine one who came to earth and died for our sins. You don't need to fear Caesar. You need to fear God. Sort of the emphasis here. He's coming. We need to be ready. It is still true <laughs> that we, there ought to be an urgency in our evangelism efforts as we see the day approaching, which means that we have to love people more than we love our political or social positions. Are you telling? No, I'm not telling you. That. I'm just saying love people. More than you love your position. Love will also make it easier for people to change their minds. About what God is doing in this world. How many times do you see people have an epiphany? Whether it be spiritual, social, political, whatever. And it's like everything turns in a moment. But if we have built up walls of conflict and, and distance between ourselves and them, it makes it much more difficult for them to find their way back to the truth. Always make it easy for someone to find their way back to the truth that you believe in Scripture. This life is a blink. It ought to be lived at its fullest. But ironically... When we think about living life to the full, we tend to think about things that we enjoy, such as entertainment or sports or partying. But 1 Timothy 5, 6 tells us that those who are self-indulgent are dead while they live. If self-help, self-care, self-expression are your guiding principles for life, I promise you, you will see the day when it's not enough. It's never going to be enough. Romans 13 tells us to sober up. Pun slightly intended. Verses 13 to 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now you may think, well I don't participate in those sins. But you may be missing something. This covers a lot of ground. Endless partying in multiple forms. Sexual immorality in multiple forms. Social interactions that are spiteful and only cause strife among those who read or hear your rants. How far away from these attitudes and actions? We are to make no provision for the flesh. Because if we do make provision for the flesh, for that Adam that is still in us, 
in those areas where we're weak, we are inevitably going to fulfill sinful desires. Do not even get close, especially in areas where you're weak. Look, I realize there are legitimate spiritual concerns about organizations such as Alcoholics Anonymous, especially as they kind of ride the cultural wave. But there's much to be commended as well. I've always thought the best thing about AA is a person who's been sober for 25 years stands up and says, my name is John. None of the Johns here. I'm not, I'm not. My name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. The man hasn't touched a drop of liquor in 25 years, but he knows who he is and where he is headed without extreme caution. Would that we were so cautious about our more respectable weaknesses. Would that we would say, my name is Brad and I'm a liar. My name is Brad and I stir up strife. That's my tendency. That's who I am. If I don't watch myself, that's exactly what I do. So I'm making myself accountable to you, my brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm, don't read too much into that. I just that, that was unscripted, and that's where I get in trouble. When a brother or sister sets up parameters for his or her behavior, do not chide them into acting against their conscience. It's a grievous sin to do that. But rather rejoice in their spirit-led conviction and caution. And so we end where we ended last week. Asking questions like, what is it that needs to be restricted in your life? Entertainment or leisure, the kind of leisure that leads to laziness. Internet, social media. It is time for us to wake up and realize that Jesus is near and we need to be prepared for his return. Not easy days to live for Jesus, but have days ever been easy to live for Jesus? You may be alarmed at the speed or with the speed at which freedom of speech and religious freedom are being restricted. That just brings us around to where we began with our response to government authority and control. It's not really the governments who are in control. When all said and done, justice will be done. Last week I mentioned Lord of the Rings. And some of you got very excited about Lord of the Rings. And others of you thought, oh brother, now he's going to want the whole family to sit and read or listen to it. I, I get that. The biggest takeaway from the entire series for me is the exchange that happened several times between Gandalf and Frodo. Frodo will say about the burden of the ring, I wish it need not have happened in my time. To which Gandalf will patiently, every time patiently respond, so do I and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us.
That's a good word. Let's pray. Father, um, we're all exhausted. We're all confused. But your word brings clarity. Your word brings encouragement. And we know that being in communion with your people brings courage and encouragement. And so, Lord, may our hearts be open always to the truth of your word. And may Jesus be glorified in our lives. Help us to truly live with the theology of the cross, knowing that if there is suffering in the same way that heaven is better with the knowledge of hell instead of one that we don't know about your justice and your judgment, it is also true that heaven is far better when you have brought us through periods of suffering. And so right now it doesn't make sense, but it will. Give us faith to believe. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.